Welcome to Small Business Startup Stories presented to you by Bitbox. Bitbox exists to discover, develop, and launch the next generation of love-led entrepreneurs. My name is Scott Behrman. I'll be your host for this episode. As always, we interview small business owners to hear how they started their business so that you can gain valuable insights to utilize in your small business start. And today we have on the podcast, Sari Wise, owner of Wise Choice Creations. Uh, Sari and I were another one. This is our third guest in a row who were classmates in the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. So welcome to the podcast today, Sari. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so good to have you. I'm excited to uh, kind of dive into hearing your startup story, uh, especially, like I said before we were talking, because uh, I'm a service industry guy, and you created a product and you sell products. So that's something that's foreign territory to me that I'd love to hear uh, that that side of, the, of business. Um, so we're going to dive right into it, if we can. And uh, first and foremost, I just ask everybody to give me the, like the 30 second uh, elevator pitch. Like what is Wise Choice Creations? So at Wise Choice Creations, baby paper, we develop, manufacture and distribute sensory toys, plush animals and add specialty products. Our signature product is baby paper, which is a safe, simple and effective sensory toy for, for babies development. Over the years, our baby paper line has grown to include sensory plush, an NFL and MLB licensed version of baby paper called rally paper, and a line for older kids and adults who benefit from sensory stimulation. We call that fidgety paper. We can also customize most of our products for businesses to use as unique branded giveaways. Um, Baby paper products are primarily distributed through specialty retailers throughout the U.S. and Canada with some distribution in some other countries. Okay. Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, yeah, so I, I, when we were in class together, baby paper was your your big item that you had at the time. Um, and ra- I think it was rally paper. You just Was that something that you came up with during class or was that something that was just developing... So we had just come out with that shortly before Um, the rally paper line kind of evolved for me being at a trade show and networking and meeting somebody who already held the licenses for NFL and MLB. So um, otherwise I wouldn't be able to, to delve into that. Right. Quite expensive to go into the lights, the licensing, especially sports. Right. So, well, let's just stay right there. I mean, we'll get into <laughs> into your story, but since we're at, well, no, we'll put we'll put we'll, we'll put a pin in that. But I want to come back to hear about the licensing portion of it. Um, so, the first question that we ask after the elevator pitch to uh, our guests is just to give us. Um, well, the context is, I mean, a lot of people think that entrepreneurs are like this extraordinary people who are like risk takers and uh, they just do all these crazy things. But uh, I think, uh, well, I'm just an ordinary guy. Uh, So I think entrepreneurs are just ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And starting a business is certainly an extraordinary thing. But can you give us the, the three to five, I always say things, people, events that kind of shape you as a person? Well, so my dad was the biggest influence. He got sick when I was 11 and he died by the time I was 20 when I was in college. 
So during that time, he taught me the value of hard work because he, he knew he wasn't going to be around. And his big line to me was learn how to type. If you can type, you can always make a living. <laughs> so it was all about hard work, developing this strong work ethic and following through on things in, in yes, there is some risk. You, you're always taking risks, but to be cautious. And it's a hard thing for an entrepreneur to learn to be able to take a few steps back sometimes before you before you jump into something. Right. Yeah. No, that's that, that's uh, great to hear. Sorry to hear about your your dad passing away early in your life. Um, where did you Where did you grow up? So I lived in between Chicago, the suburbs, and Florida because parents were older and we lived part-time in Florida. So I spent some time in Florida. Okay. Um, when I graduated college, I went, I'm sorry, when I graduated high school, I went to University of Miami and then my dad died. So I wanted to come back to Chicago. So I transferred to Northwestern. Um, I still think that there was a mistake in the admissions process because I think they took me by accident, but <laughs> <laughs> I was a senior. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I started. Okay, my my adulthood was was there. Okay, where what degree did you get from Northwestern? Communications. Communications. Yeah. And when you graduated, what was some of your first? What well, what was your job right before you entered? or started, or what were you doing? It may not be a job, but before you started Wise Choice uh, or Baby Paper, what, what were you doing? In an industry, I've been in it, but um, when okay. Wise Choice Creation started, it actually started as something very different than it is now. I, I started, um, I was doing giveaways for special events. So I was in the ad specialty business and okay. I was also working special events which I still do. I mean, other than the pandemic slowing that part down, but um, because I was so involved in all the processes of the event, people would ask me to work or to help them plan an event. And I was doing that, but I had already had the idea for baby paper in the back of my mind. And at some point in my adult life, I started trying to make them myself with a friend okay. and realized that this was a terrible business model. But without realizing it back then, I had proved a concept okay. and I put it on the back burner for a while while I was doing my ad specialty items. What was the what was the bad business model? Well, you can't sit at a sewing machine and sew gotcha. baby products <laughs> back to, to group yep. and have product liability insurance and um, not have safety testing. But and it was this was pre Etsy. So yeah. You know, doing those kind of things was hard. You know, you throw them in your car and go try to sell them to stores. And I learned very early on about knockoffs because the stores I was selling to them to would have family members knock off my products. Yeah. So um, I went back to my ad specialty items. Okay. What was the, the thing that uh, pushed you in the direction to even create baby paper? So I was having a, an extraordinarily long lunch with my children at um, a restaurant in downtown Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I kept handing them paper napkins. And they're 10 years apart. And I'm watching them both so involved in shredding these paper napkins. 
and driving home in the traffic from downtown Chicago, I started thinking about it and I came up with the concept and I didn't sew. So I, but I ran to a fabric store and I knew the material and I went to a friend who sewed me, who showed me how to sew them. Mm -hmm. And the two of us and sew them. I actually even went out and bought a sewing machine. Nice. Yeah. So that was the idea behind it. But like I said, I put that on the back burner. Yeah. And um, in a very chance encounter, I was at a trade show, my first one going to it as buyer. And there was a man there who was his first time being in Chicago at this trade show. It was ad specialty. And he had custom plush that he was selling. And I felt the material and I said, that's baby paper. Hmm. And I talked to him about it. And he was willing to do a run of it for just a $500 investment. I know I'm getting ahead because I know that's one of your questions. No, no, up. keep going. This is great. So um, he told me it'd be just $500. And I did not tell a soul about that. <laughs> and I went home, didn't say a word. Yeah. A few months later, my husband, who had never done this before and has not really done it since, handed me $500 cash. And he said, go buy yourself something. And wow. I thought, okay, I know what I'm buying. And I went and called the, the guy up and we did our first run of, of baby paper being produced overseas. And so he had all of the things I needed. He did safety testing and he did... Um, he had the product liability insurance. Wow. And I brought it in and that's how the idea started. And what what did the what did the guy do? What was his business? So he made custom plush. Okay. And so he would bring it in from overseas. So my product was so small it could fit on anybody's container and the first run $500. I mean it was like nothing. It was, I think you know it was a thousand pieces mm -hmm. and um yeah so i had these thousands pieces thousand pieces of baby paper and then you know how do you get a product to market right you know that that was the big question yeah so um because i was selling specialty items it just so happened my husband was had an office in the apparel center in chicago and somebody walked into his office and asked about doing some items for a, uh, an event they were doing. So he said, call my wife. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll tell you what, she had a showroom at the apparel center that she sold to boutiques across the Midwest. I said, I will do this for you at my cost if you put a basket of my baby paper in your showroom and try to sell it. And so without even realizing it, I heard my first rep. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Yeah. So it, uh, she started selling it it was great in her, so, in her shop. So she put the, the basket in her shop. She, in her showroom. Yeah. Yep. And uh, buyers would come in and she kept it in the middle of a conference table and they would start playing with it Yeah, and they would start fidgeting with it. You know, you've heard my products. Yeah, yeah. They, they make oh, yeah. here. I have right here. They like make that great. They make that great crunch. Yeah. And people started asking about it and, Pretty soon, she started selling it for me. So, how did she? How did she go about selling it? Then, what? What does that look like? So, she's a sales rep. Okay. So, her her job is to have a list of of retailers that she works with, and so she sold to them. 
And so she started selling it and um, I was still doing my ad specialty um, giveaways and I was working a lot of special events and the baby paper business started to grow without me doing much. Um, I did, I did realize I needed to hire more sales reps in other areas besides the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So um, I convinced a, a girl who had a showroom in LA to take it in. And, and that's the whole thing you need to I think when you, you, when you have a product, you have to figure out who your end user is. Like, who do you want to sell to? And at that moment in time, I only wanted to sell to retailers. You know, we didn't, you know, online selling wasn't as big as it is now. Yeah. And I wanted to focus on that because I would rather send, you know, a box of it to somebody than one piece that was retailing for $5. Makes sense. So um, I focused on building my business through hiring sales reps all over the country. And um, the brand just started to build on its own organically. It, I've, I didn't get this, or I, I didn't ask you, but when did, what year did you start Baby Paper? I came up with the concept in 2000. Okay. That was a long time ago. And I didn't start really bringing it to market. You know, it, it was probably maybe 2006, 2007. But I was so busy running my other business. And it was finally in 2015 that um, I realized that baby paper was growing and the other business was draining me and the margins were getting thinner and thinner and thinner. So that was when I made the decision to shut down selling ad specialty items and just concentrate on the baby paper. And it was a very good decision. But, you know, when you have a product, you can't, unless you have a lot of funding behind you, mm -hmm. you can't give up everything else. You, you know, you, you have to grow it organically in any way that you can to get the name out there. Yeah. So when you made the, when you finally decided to move from the ad specialty to baby paper full time, where were you at? Like, you don't have to give exact numbers, but like, what was the, the thought process? I know you said it was the margins were getting thinner. Was that on the ad specialty side? Yeah, I felt like on that end of it, I was, it was always, I used to call it, um, you know, let's make a deal. Okay. You, you know, like, you know, people would beat you up on your prices all the time. Yep. And um, the baby paper business was not, it wasn't like it was really sustainable. It was still kind of a little bit of a, a you know, home-based, you, you know, um, more of a hobby type thing, but I, I saw the potential mm -hmm. and saw that people liked the products and began to, um, I started to go to trade shows with it. And that was really when it became much more of a serious business. And I realized that I had this connection with these, with these, you know, mom and pop shops. And I, I liked dealing with them because I believe in shopping local and yeah. I believe in that sense of community. And so I was able to connect with them on that level. And I never looked at them as my stepping stone to selling to Target or Nordstrom or anywhere else. I really put them in the forefront. And I think that goes back to a lot of how my dad ran his business. It's just 
you know, working with the smaller specialty companies because they're the ones that are going to help somebody build a brand. Yeah. You know, if you walk into Target, there's nobody there to say, oh, this toy is better than this toy, or you have a five-year-old and this is what you should buy for your five-year-old. You walk into a specialty toy store and you give them a description of your child and they will show you what is going to work for your child. And so there's a difference. They are, they are the basis for building a brand. Right. Yeah. That's so great to hear. I love that. I'm a small business guy as well. Uh, and this whole podcast is about small businesses. So yeah, that focus on selling to and distributing your product through small businesses. Um, yeah, I love to hear that. What does it look like? And again, you don't have to give like numbers, but what it, is, is each boutique or small business that you're approaching uh, when you want to put your product in, in their shop, do you, do you have a standard, like, I don't even know what they call it, but like a, a standard agreement of how much the pro they're purchasing the product for and how much they're selling it? Or is that, does that vary per boutique? Well, sometimes it varies a little bit. Um, they're, they're most retailers use keystone pricing. So if they, you know, for instance, if they're paying $10 for a product, they're going to sell it for 20. Okay. So that that's where they try to be. Some of them will push the limit and go 21. Some of them will go just below that 20 mark. Um, there is always an MSRP, you know, man, manufacturer suggested retail price. Right. It's, it's actually much more important now because of Amazon, because you know, everybody can walk into a store and say this product costs, you know, $10 on Amazon. And so therefore I should pay $10 for it in your store. Right. So um, the consumers are much, are, are much smarter now. They're much better educated. And so um, people try to, to keep their pricing standard. Okay. When you, when you started, when you started uh, baby paper, well, you had said, so you met the guy at the, cause I have no, I mean, I have insurance for my workers, workers comp and, and that, but there is liability if the product does hurt somebody, yeah. right? Especially with yeah. babies. Yes. So um, when you sell products, particularly in the baby category, there is a list of rules and regulations that you need to have certain testing done. And this is particularly true when you make products overseas. And so would I love to be able to manufacture in the States? Yes. And, and ultimately one day I would like to try to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, more cost effective to go overseas. So because there has been so many issues with, you know, lead-based products coming in and bad plastic, there are a lot of regulations regarding baby products and choking hazards. And even if you produce in the United States, there's just certain things that you can't give to babies and everything has to be age appropriate. Right. So um, you you have to go through testing, testing um, protocol. And, and who, does, you have to, who does that? So there's testing labs. Okay. And, and so, so the way that I have my business structured is that I still use that same, that man that I met in Chicago way back when yeah. I still use that company. It's changed owners a couple of times, 
but they are still my sourcing agent. And so I, my margins are thinner because of it, but they take care of everything. I don't, I don't worry about, you know, how to get something here from China. I don't worry about the testing. I don't, none of that. I don't have to carry the million dollar policy. Um, so it's just, I'd rather give up some profit and have that peace of mind. Right. Cause the alternative would be, you are the one who is interacting yes. with manufacturers in China and initiating right. the and, testing. And, yeah. And, and, you know, and being a small business and, you know, even though we do bring in a fair amount, you still don't have that, that rapport with the factory in China. So to have somebody who has other products who has been in that factory, who has seen them, who, who knows the, you know, you don't have that when you're sitting in the U S trying to find a factory in China right? and you have, you know, the products have to be prepaid before they come in. I don't have to do any of that. So there's a lot of, um, I, I always tell my sourcing agent, I said, I can sleep at night because you don't. Right. Yeah. For sure. So would you recommend if somebody is out there listening to this podcast and they're thinking they have a product idea in their head, would you recommend that they find someone who is already working with China and manufacturers there and connecting with them instead of going out on their own and doing it? So I would suggest if you have an idea, you know, do all of your your research to find out, is this product something that the consumer is going to want? You know, is, is this something that's needed? And if your answer is yes, go about it the easiest way to start. You know, I, I am at the point now that I probably could go. I, I know I could. I could go to a factory in China. Yeah. I know I could do this. But I still choose not to. And so that might not be the way everybody else does. But unless you have a lot of money behind you, you have to take these baby steps. You have to prove your concept. You have to, like, if you use a sourcing agent here, your minimums are going to be, could be a little bit lower. So you don't have to bring in mass amounts. Like when I was first doing this before I met this man, my, you know, when I tried to find a factory in China, they wanted me to commit to 10,000 pieces. That's a big difference. So yes, that's what I would recommend. I would recommend doing as much research and don't just jump at the first source that you find. You you really have to search this out. You have to do your research. You have to talk to people. You need to use as many connections as you can. Right. What were some of the, did you have any pitfalls or along the way during your, your process of bringing baby paper, baby paper to market and to boutiques? Some things maybe you would do differently. Well, I think I would have it earlier instead of spending all those years allowing it to just grow organically. I would have focused on it much sooner and I would have taken a few more little risks. Um, there, there were some pitfalls. Um, you know, at times, you know, you overorder product, you panic over, you know, time frames and getting products in so um, those were definitely some of the times when, when the business got a little scary. You know, you've got so much product and no place to sell it. Mm-hmm. 
I really believe that it's okay to make those mistakes because you learn from them. Just don't keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. Learn from it, move on. Um, If you do make a mistake, own it, admit it. You know, there's plenty of times when we go to ship something to a customer and we ship something wrong Mm -hmm. or even when we don't and the customer says we did, you know, sometimes just admit when you made a mistake. I mean, not sometimes. You should always admit, always be honest. And it'll come, you know, that will pay off. Uh, that's our policy as well. We, we always say, I mean, even, I mean, we, we do window window cleaning. So uh, <laughs> if there's nothing riding on if somebody's windows are dirty. It, it's just dirty. Uh, so it's not a high stakes business. But yeah, if, if the customer says, hey, I haven't seen you guys in three months. And I always say, well, how do your windows look? Because if we didn't clean your windows in three months, they look pretty bad. But we always default to giving the money back. Well, let us reimburse you the money, and you know we'll make sure that we can communicate better with you as as we go forward. Uh, it's always the best policy. It makes your life. I think for me, I think it just makes your life easier in the long run. Instead of battling someone, it's just like, yeah, here you go. Unless it's, I guess, a lot of money, and then then that might be a different story right and and unless you know you also don't want to be taken advantage of because there are people who who will do that so but i do think if you make a mistake own it fix it move on right learn from it so going back to licensing Mm -hmm. uh so what does that look because what i did go on your website and i think at the time when we were in the class together i think you you had the licensing deal or not with yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I, I did. So what does that so, what does that look like? This was um, a perfect example of going to a trade show. You know, a lot of people go to a trade show. You have a product to sell, and you stand in your booth, and you wait for people to come to you. And I think the biggest lesson that any entrepreneur can make is take every situation that you're in and use it to your full advantage, opportunity that you possibly can look for. People just are glued to the. They don't try anything different. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I was at a trade show, and the people two booths over from me had sold licensed books. You probably saw them on my website, the books. Yeah. He came over, and it was actually him who approached me about it, and so we started producing rally paper together. And um, it's been. You know, I don't want him to hear this because I don't want his ego to blow up, but my partnership with him has been really good for both of us because we have our strengths and weaknesses and we kind of encourage each other to do you know, things that normally we wouldn't do. And so we have um, expanded the licensed products. We've created these gift sets where we take his books and the rally paper and we put it together in a gift set and then he has a line of some other books that just so happen to pair perfectly with with some of my products so we've been doing a lot of that you know trying to expand our businesses and um you know he holds the licenses and i'm going to tell you that the whole licensing field is a whole different it's a it's a whole different beast and it's very regulated and it's very expensive yeah so, yeah, that's. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. Yeah, because he did that. 
Yeah, that's what I've heard uh, just through like other podcasts, listening to different things. And it's it sounds like it's particular like per category of product as well, right? Like, oh, yeah. 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 In the and, NFL and MLB, you know, the contracts are crazy. And, yeah. So so he and I have a licensing agreement together. So he, he pays me a royalty for being able to use my baby paper name. And um, I have been able to expand my product line, you know, much more easily yeah. than I normally would have. Yeah. Talk to me about the transition or what it looks like for you now, because you had mentioned Amazon earlier. Um, going from selling directly to or having salespeople who are uh, selling to boutique stores, small businesses. So you went, I mean, you've gone through this transition. Are you selling on Amazon? What What does your online yeah. presence look like and how do you feel about it? Yeah. It's actually pretty funny. So several years ago, you know, when Amazon was really trying to to get their foot in the door in the toy category, somehow I ended up on on their on their list of um, potential products to carry. And part of that was was that Amazon, when they wanted to get in, they actually solicited toy stores, and they said, "Come on our platform. We're going to give you this." platform to use and you'll be able to sell whatever toys you want. Yeah. Well, Amazon was watching to see what was selling. And so then they start going directly to the manufacturer and cutting out that little toy store. Yeah. 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 Step on the little guy. Yeah. When I started going to these trade shows, my big push was I'm all about selling to specialty retailers and Amazon would show up in my booth in every trade show. I was on their list. And every time I would look at them and say, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like looking back on it, like here I am this little nothing brand and Amazon is trying right. to buy my product and I'm like kicking them out of my booth. And I finally made this sign and it said, you know, it had a big X and it said, no Amazon, no big box, no consumer, big X. And so I was at this trade show and, and the girl said, well, why don't you want to talk to us? And I pointed to my sign. And she said, oh, you're really serious. And I said, yes, they've never solicited me since. Wow. It did good for me for a while, having that sign yeah. and holding true to that because the specialty retailers appreciated it mm -hmm. because Amazon really pushing them out. Fast forward to today, I probably should have listened to what they had to say. Not so much to sell to them, but to learn about it because you know, the pandemic hit. Yeah. And um, what a lot of consumers don't realize is that the pandemic hit China just after their Chinese New Year. Yeah. So during their Chinese New Year, they shut down for one month. So all the factories closed. Then the pandemic hit. So now the factories are not open again, mm -hmm. even long. So it's the beginning of the year in 2020. And you're a trade new samples to come in and they're waiting for a product to come in and you're pre-ordering off of, you know, prototypes, you're taking pre-orders. And when China finally reopened, some like ugh, twist of awful fate was right when we shut down. Mm -hmm. So the product all got here and we had no place to sell yeah. it. You have to take possession of it. Everything is shut down. So where are you selling this? 
So I, my products were already on Amazon through third-party sellers. You know, smaller companies were selling it. Okay. And um, I had to make that decision to start selling direct to the company. They hadn't even hit the stores yet. Yeah. The stores were canceling orders. You know, anything that was a pre-order, they didn't want it. You know, you're shipping to the stores. They're closed. There's nobody there to accept the product. So, you know, I had to start selling direct to the consumer. And then I also had to start, I had to open up my own seller account on Amazon because nobody was selling my new products. So um, never say never. So what does that look like for you selling direct to consumer? Do you you get an order? Do you ship that out yourself? Okay. Yeah, we do all of our own shipping. Um, We have a a warehouse in Pennsylvania through my, through my, um, sourcing agent, yep. but most of the products are shipped directly out of our, out of our um, office in Northbrook. Okay. So my husband and I actually sit and pack all the orders yeah. and ship them. So how does that feel like, cause I'm, I'm sure when you're selling direct to stores, it's a bigger, bigger box, you know, there's, uh, you know, hundreds of items in it, but now you're, are you like packaging up individual pieces and selling, sending them out? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm, you know, Sending out like little, you know, seven dollar orders. And, yeah. You know, listen, we're in the middle of some un- unprecedented times, and I don't think at this point there's anything too small for somebody to say, "Oh, that's beneath me." Mm-hmm. You have to do what you're you're going to do, and each piece of baby paper that I send to wherever I'm sending it, that's helping my brand. Yeah. It's one more person that has my product someplace that may not have been able to find it in a specialty store. We may not have a, a store that's close to them. They may just be an online shopper, whatever the reason is. Um, it's one more pre- more person who is posting pictures on Instagram yeah. with their baby with the baby paper. So it, it's all about building a brand and continuing to build your brand. You know, you can never stop. You can't say, Oh, look at, I'm in, you know, 700 specialty stores so i need to stop you can't because sometimes those stores are going to stop you know buying from you and you need to find the next one and especially now with so many of them closing and you know they've been closing for a while the pandemic just kind of pushed them off the cliff yeah so very sad yeah we've experienced that as well with the uh, urban street side it's because we service probably 80% of small businesses of, you know, 80% of our clients are small businesses and yeah, they've paused service and some have closed entirely. And yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we can't stop. We have a, we, we actually took on a salesperson during this time to reach out and we didn't have one before just to reach out to people and try to get new business coming in for us. So you can never stop. no, it's difficult. So kind of wrap it up uh coming on the home stretch here uh what what are the hopes and dreams and and goals for uh your business uh going into the future i am hoping that specialty retail survives all this and comes out stronger i am also hoping to continue to build the brand we have some new products coming out again you know you you always have to keep coming up with new items Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about is, is that we have a program. We have two charities that we work with. One, we have a pattern that was designed by a boy with autism. And so we 
give a portion of the proceeds to artists with autism. And we have another one that was designed by some girls at this organization called Cranial Care Bears. But I took that a step further with everything that has happened this year. And I looked at our industry, you know, the toy industry, the baby industry, and I wanted to make a difference in any way that I could. And it wasn't just about donating money to an organization. So an organization to to partner with through through Goldman. Mm -hmm. We found this girl. She's awesome. She's a junior. And she designed a baby paper pattern. And we're going to um, start to sell that. And so we brought her in on the conversation. My sourcing agent is minority and woman-owned business. So between the two of us, we're hoping to mentor Deja and she's going to, um, pay her, you know, I paid her an upfront art fee and she's going to be involved in every step of the process, you know, from production and marketing and trying to sell it. So as for, for me, I am exciting me right now. I mean, other than I have these other new products coming out that I'm super excited yeah. about, um, I'm really excited about Deja's about my journey with her and um, just continuing to build my brand and to continue to come up with new concepts. Yeah. Oh, that's all that. That makes me so happy to hear. <laughs> I'm like, we have the press release on our um, website. I'm so excited yeah, about it. That's so exciting. So, and not only that, but she also, she has a, um, she has a debilitating illness. And so even through all that, this girl is just incredible. Yeah. It's just amazing. Oh, love to hear that. And uh, yeah, I want to, if I could have a, a wish for the world or for small business owners is that every small business owner in the world would do something like that. Like bring, bring someone in that they could build into and equip and hopefully send them off to their own entrepreneurial journey in life. The idea was to affect change in at least one person's life. Yeah. Um, you know, we're small, so it's got to be, you know, you build small. So I'm hoping to build that part of what our business is and, you know, just giving back to communities that normally don't have those opportunities. Yeah, for sure. So the final question that I have for you today is what piece of advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur? So first of all, you have to believe in your product and you have to be realistic whether others are going to believe in it. You know, do you fill a need? Is it something that somebody's going to want? And you have to be willing to work. You, you have to be able and do the hard work. Um, you know, we talk to people who have ideas in, in my, you know, in my field all the time. And a lot of them want me to do the work for them, you know, put them in contact. But you have to, you have to be willing to make the phone calls. You have to be willing to spend the time and you need to listen to people who have been through it and, you know, heed some advice. Yes. Well, Sari, thank you so much for joining me today and um, yeah, for allowing me to ask uh, those questions that I probably didn't even know how to ask cor correctly. Uh, Cause I, again, like the product world is so it's, it's a foreign, foreign land. To, um, I don't know, maybe someday I'll come up with an idea for a product, but 
Uh, well, you let me know when. Yeah, I will. I will definitely let you know. So thank you for your time today. We really appreciate having you and um, have a great one. Thanks, Scott. You too. It was great seeing you. You as well. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Small Business Startup Stories presented by Bitbox. Bitbox exists to discover, develop, and launch entrepreneurs. We believe anyone has the ability to start a business, and that means you. If you have the desire and don't know where to start, we'd love to help. So please visit us at bitbox.com to find out more.